You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. If you're telling me that a team views Bo Horvat as a younger Ryan O'Reilly, that to me makes me wonder if it's the team that currently employs Ryan O'Reilly. If they are thinking that, man, we can't afford to lose Bo because what would we be then? I will maybe cry on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. This is a big day for the show. All four, four of us are hatted. I repeat, hatted. Does that not, that, doesn't that happen every day? Or Negative. does Andy not wear a hat? Not Andy's not a hat guy. I'm the, I'm the rebel. Guy. I'm the yeah. dissenter. Do you, okay. like, you like Andy's hat today? What? Well, I can't see it. It's a little. I like how it's a little crooked to the side. It's a little mm. ajar, askew. It's how the youth wear it. The youth. <laughs> yeah. He's going skateboarding after the show. Yeah. Nice. Young. Yeah. Nice. You're gonna do yeah. a kickflip or two after the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Yeah. Halford and Breath in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Okay. Big show ahead on a Friday, as it always is here on the Halbro Experience. Going to get the guest list underway at 6.30. James Sharman, soccer analyst for Sportsnet Footy Prime, is going to join us here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So during this show, we will get kickoff of the first quarterfinal from the FIFA 2022 World Cup in Qatar. It'll be Brazil and Croatia at 7 this morning, followed by Argentina and the Netherlands at 11. But with James... I think we're going to do a hyper laser focus on the biggest match of them all, really. England, France, 11 a.m. on Saturday. We'll be there live at England House at the Hollywood Theater. Is it safe to say that Croatia is the biggest underdog of these quarterfinal matches and England-France is the most even match? Yes, the only one that might be as big of an underdog is Morocco getting past Portugal. But according to the sports I books, anyway, so, yeah. Croatia is the biggest of the underdog. I mean, Brazil's the tournament favorite right now. Mm-hmm. and that's well, they're the tournament favorite going in and then mm-hmm. what they did to South Korea. Uh, and the, the, the Croatian gaffer <laughs> acknowledged as much as well in his remarks. So we'll talk to James Sharman about all that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation. We'll look ahead to the Seahawks this weekend. It is the Seahawks. It is the lowly Carolina Panthers, although their former quarterback put on a show last night. We'll talk to Brady about not just the game, but the playoff picture moving ahead. Uh, the Seahawks have five games left in their season. It looks as though like a 10-win season is... I don't want to say expected, but given some of the games on the horizon, this should be a 10-win football team, but they got to play the games. You're scared of jinxing them, aren't you? Yeah, I am. It was like that time when I said Russell Wilson never gets injured. 8 o'clock. I think I'm still mad that they lost to the Raiders. Especially after watching the Raiders last last night. I'm still uh, the Raiders game and the Saints game really bother me. The Raiders this year have lost to a coach that had about five days prep coming off his high school coaching stint. Mm Mm-hmm. 
in the Indianapolis Colts yep. and Jeff Saturday, and then lost to a quarterback that had the playbook for like 36 hours right. before going out and beating them. So that's yeah. not great for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, 8 o'clock, Moj is going to join us. Bob the Moj Marjanovic. Uh, we can look back on the career of Brian Burnham with Moj. Of course, we had Brian on the show earlier this week when he announced his retirement. We can also look ahead to all the NFL action this weekend with Moj at 8 o'clock. So working in reverse, Moj at 8, Brady Henderson at 7, James Sharman at 6.30. Uh, mentioned the World Cup action. It's a busy Friday night in the NHL. Among the games, Calgary and Columbus. So a couple of interesting storylines going into that one. You've got the Columbus Blue Jackets who are just bad at hockey and got bombed by Buffalo the other night. you got a new starting goalie for Calgary. It's Dan Vladar. And finally, and most importantly, Johnny Hockey against his former mates. This one's in Columbus, though. He's not back in Calgary. Oh, yet. that's boring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, NBA, big, game, big uh, night for them tonight, 10 games. It's Ask Us Anything Friday. We're going to do our Play Now Locks of the Week. And finally, finally, it is the final day of giveaways here. It's like Christmas came early on the Halbro show. We are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Wild tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Today is also the day we do the final grand prize draw for the Scenic Rush Sea to Sky Tour. Three hours in a supercar, a Lamborghini, uh, Porsche. A, a, a beetle. We mentioned that yesterday. So it's that's like important. a cannonball run. Yes, it's for exactly. Three hours, it's so. three hours. Just you're cannonballing back and forth up the up and down the sea to sky. So There's another timely movie reference. That have one you, wasn't as bad. Hey dogs, have you heard of the the, the movie Cannonball Run? No. Okay. Who stars in it? Uh, Burt Reynolds is in it. Oh, Dom, okay. is, that like, is that like Cannonball Cool Runnings? Uh, Dom, it is it not. Is, it is it's like not cool, even close kinda. to Cool Runnings so at all. Is it like Smokey and the Bandit? Yes. yes. Oh, yes. okay. Dom DeLuise is in it. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, Do you know who Dom DeLuise is? Actually, you know what? Now, now that you mention it, I, I have heard of it. <laughs> but I've never seen it. Okay. So we're one step closer to me knowing what, about, what the heck you're talking about. What about Cannonball Run Part 2? Have There's you heard of that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It's terrible. <laughs> Focus. Once again, we're lacking focus early in the show. So we're going to do all the giveaways uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. If you want to weigh in right now, we're going to open it, this contest wide up today. All you got to do is send an ask us anything or what we learned. Hashtag AUA. Hashtag WWL. Ticket emoji gets you into the grand prize draw for Canucks tickets. Car emoji gets you into the grand prize draw for the scenic rush trip. If you want to get crazy... And by all means, get crazy because it's Friday and it's the weekend. You can put the ticket and car emoji in the same thing. You'll be entered into all the draws for eternity. That's not true. Okay, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? So it was a light day yesterday, light night in Canuckland. No practice, no game to speak of. But that doesn't mean that the conversation stopped here on your home of the Canucks with two shows with the words Canucks in the title, Sportsnet 650. Uh, the Bo Horvat discourse really took the internet and the station by storm yesterday. The, the reaction was, good Lord. Yeah, that was That it. was just the whole day. Just, good Lord, $9 million? So Bo Horvat in it, this economy? Yeah. And the good use, Lord. It, it started here on the Halford and Bruff experience. Yesterday, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff came on the show, and we were talking about uh, the topic du jour, and really the topic de season, because it's been lingering for the better part of two months, and that was Bo Horvat's future, either with the Canucks or apparently in a on a yacht somewhere else. So 
Uh, let's play the audio from Frank now as we reset uh, how this kind of took off like wildfire yesterday. Frank Saravalli on our show live with a Jason Bruff reaction, a genuine, honest reaction to the news that there is one team out there that might be willing to break the bank when it comes to Bo Horvat potentially getting to free agency. Take it away. There were rumblings last week that the Canucks had potentially made a new offer or re-engaged with the Horvat camp. I have no confirmation or indication that that actually occurred or is the case. But I, the only sense that I have is that nothing has materially changed one way or the other with how things have gone with Horvat to this point. And I think more than that, there are whispers from other teams that I've spoken to. I, I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. Really? On just a long-term contract Cap's extension. Going up. Cap's it, going up. Cap's going up. You need you, a center. Yeah. Absolutely I, need a center. And and this team that I spoke to said they think Bo Horvat is just a way younger version of Ryan O'Reilly. So that was obviously something that a lot of people locally were able to run with in a variety of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people that were just coming out looking at the obvious statements of facts and saying, wow, it's going to be really difficult for the Canucks to keep him now. That's the kind of money he could get out there. Uh, there were the Frank is an Eastern media sleeper cell mole. Uh, there was lots of the talk about this is the agent planting stories. There were lots of questions asking, who is this mystery team? And yeah. Who could possibly want to pay Horvath that much money? I, I texted Frank and I said, any hints? on the mystery team, and he said, no. Right on. And then I said, you're no fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people tried to guess and figure out who it might be. I'm not really sure that's the point or purpose of this exercise, but it's always fun to get. Do we have the Drance and Dodd audio? Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, they came on and tried to crack the code as it was, and I think Drance might have been on to something. Uh, let's let him explain it and take it away now. If you're a contending organization, you're not opening up the checkbook to pay Bo Horvat $9 million a season. I don't think. I could be wrong about that, but that's not the immediate read I get, right? I look at it as almost like uh, Anaheim. A lesser, yeah, Anaheim or a lesser version of Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus, right? Where, okay, maybe this is jump-starting our process a little bit. We're not right there in that contention window, but hey, if we've got a chance to sign this player, we'll break the bank to do it. Anaheim is a good example as well. That's my read on what the potential team could be. Heck, maybe it would be Columbus. Pair, oh, sorry, pair a goal-scoring center with your playmaking winger. Let's go. I have a different twist for you. If you're telling me that a team views Bo Horvat as a younger Ryan O'Reilly, that to me makes me wonder if it's the team that currently employs Ryan O'Reilly. So, That's interesting. Right? Like, if you're being like, he's exactly like this guy who is much older, especially because Saravalli emphasizes much, much younger Anyway, that's what I would think. So there's a lot of takeaways here. I think the one that I had is this is kind of a classic example of why general managers usually don't like to go into seasons with this hanging over their head. I mean, mm -hmm. the Canucks made that very clear with the JT Miller extension, even though we're talking a little bit of apples and oranges there, is that they didn't want this to become a distraction. Because I know how this goes for Bo Horvat and his camp. Bo Horvat, not Boar. Bo Horvat and his camp moving forward is he gets asked about it now 
Yeah. He's going to get asked about it a lot. And he's other- probably going to ask questions. Who do you think the team is, guys? <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to know. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Am I going to be able to move there? Can I get my stuff there? Like, that's going to be. Bo's one- like, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me? <laughs> I do think that. I've got seven assists. I do think that that's um, one of the byproducts that the Canucks knew was going to be an inevitability and an eventuality because they didn't get this done ahead of time. And when you talk about not getting the deal done ahead of time, it kind of brings back all of these not great feelings for Horvat, the ones that we're talking about, where it's yeah. like, why didn't they prioritize my contract over somebody mm-hmm. else's? Why did they let their captain go into the final year of his deal uh, without any sort of extension and leading it up to unrestricted free agency? Am I going to be this guy who's known as, for the better part of three months, the number one trade target mm-hmm. on everybody's trade target board? Like Those things and those questions are out there, and they still remain unanswered. So Merrick and Freed were having a conversation um, on the program after our show, and I was listening to on, on on the way home in the car. And Merrick threw out the question of, well, actually threw out the the debate that we've been having, basically, okay. of do you reset the Canucks and go, okay, we need to take a step back here, or is there enough talent there that you just keep chipping away at the roster and you try and build something, you try and uh, move some bad cap space or you know move some bad contracts out and, and just keep going? Because his point was, like, Pedersen's playing really well and you've got Quinn Hughes, you got some good players there, mm-hmm. right? Which we've made a number of times, and that's essentially what our show is, just debating the way forward. And Frege kind of said, guys, like, it may not be up to them. It may just be the contracts determine which way they go, right? And I get that, right? If they can't assign, uh, if they can't afford to sign Horvat, and then they trade him, they're not going to stay. Like they're not going to be able to trade Horvat and get an equally good NHL player right now. Correct. So if they trade Horvat, they're probably taking a step back, and then when they look at their team, they're probably going. Man, like we're not as good anymore without Horvat. So maybe we should just use next season as a bit of a reset season and don't have necessarily the highest expectations and just have that as a bit of a all right, let's regroup. Let's try and um, get some futures, obviously, for both. And I know Fridge didn't say all this, but this is what I'm extrapolating from. Sure, that. sure. But, uh, um, it, it, you know, like let's just reset. The other big question that hangs over all of this is Pedersen. And I wonder how this is going to progress because Pedersen is in the second year of a three-year bridge contract. Yep, We all know he's playing really well. He can, in theory, start – he could sign this offseason a long-term extension. July 1, so yeah. aren't you almost obligated, if you're Canucks management, to start having those conversations as soon as you possibly can? Because doesn't doesn't that almost determine everything? Uh, let's say Pedersen is totally open to c- talking a contract extension. And you can get him locked in to a long-term contract extension that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You do that. Yeah. But what if, and you don't have to make this public, but what if you enter into those contract extensions and you sense something? You're like, there's something weird going on here. Like, PD is not is not feeling these conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he wants to sign long-term here. We've seen how this plays out 
in Calgary with a guy like Matthew Kachuk. And we know in the back of our minds that Pedersen made these comments if, like a year and a half ago. He said, listen, I want to, if I'm going to sign long-term with the Canucks, I, I want to play for a winning team. I want to play in the playoffs. And, you know, when he made those comments at the time, I didn't blame him. Okay. I certainly didn't blame him. I don't know if you blamed him. I was like, good. I, I hope you want to play for a winning team. That's seemed the like most one of those, thing. It seemed like one of those innocuous comments that gets uh, relayed to a Swedish media outlet, and then it gets translated in English, and everyone freaks out when it's really just like a very innocuous comment. I would like to win. I'd like to play for a team that can I'd like win. To, I'd like to win. It seemed pretty and, straightforward. And I, I'm not going to sign long-term with a, with a franchise that keeps losing. So I don't know how Pedersen feels about this organization right now. But don't you think that they're obligated to start there? Yeah. In the offseason? Yeah, priority I mean, can, number one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you can have those conversations, have them. Don't be like, okay, we're going to fix a bunch of other stuff, and hopefully the Pedersen stuff all works out for you, no, right? No, like, no, you know, like no. you have to no, no. St- you, no, no. you have to start there because if – and I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying this is going to happen. If Pedersen is hesitant or shy or or even like downright, hey, guys, just so, just so you know – I'm not signing long-term here, then you have to make a bunch of moves that change everything. Horvat is almost like a a smaller version of that. Yeah, because, but he's not any – you know? but, but again, you want to talk about the one word I keep coming back to, and it's priority. Who has been made the priority for this organization? I mean, when you take a step back and look at it, the picture is actually pretty clear, almost crystal clear. They prioritize JT Miller – they prioritized not just signing him, but making sure it didn't bleed into the regular season. I mean, Rutherford came out and said that was a big part of this. Now, I would say basic logic assumes that uh, your number one priority for the upcoming offseason is Pedersen. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Like I know there's other things to do on the shopping list, but right now, given how he's playing, his contractual status, and the fact that you have an opportunity to sign him long-term, which, again, fundamentally I am opposed to, but I understand they'll probably end up doing it. That is your priority. So with those two things there, that you made Miller a priority and got that done, and your next big priority is going to be Pedersen, you fill in the blanks. What does that mean for Horvat? By the way, when you say fundamentally you're opposed to signing Pedersen long-term. No, no, no. Signing anyone long-term. Anyone long-term. Yeah. But to keep Pedersen, to sign Pedersen long-term. It's a different, it's a different debate. Don't even go down that road. This is okay, my, well, you brought it up. I mean, yeah, but now I'm putting it, now I'm, shut, cause, now I'm cause, shutting it down. But because people will be like, oh, you, you don't think they should sign Pedersen long-term. Yeah, I don't care about people. Well, clearly based on your opinions. Yeah. And my personal hygiene. Um, no, like, okay, this is all I'll say. Eight year deals are nuts. Mm-hmm. Too long. It's way too much of a commitment. Point to me the amount of them that have turned out really well in the end for the team. And I'll be like, okay, there's one or two. Right? I think if you, I think a lot of the time, if you sign guys out of their ELCs and they're really good players, they're special players. Like the McDavid contract for the Oilers is awesome for yeah. them. Right? There's a handful. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, there are a lot of them that aren't great, or yeah. a lot of them. That, the, the crazy part is there's a lot of them where the guy signing the contract, giving the money, is like, here you go. I know this is going to age badly, and then he has a big smile on his. Well, face. that's different than the that would be different than the Pedersen conversation Never because Pedersen's so much younger. He could age quickly. And well, badly. Well, okay. Four years max. Everything in your life should be a four-year commitment. I would love it if the rules were that. Yeah. But I also know that if the Canucks had that as an organizational philosophy, Pedersen would be like, or a lot of players would be like, okay, well, bye. We'll just wait the four years, right? They want to get they want to get their guaranteed contract. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, with the deals. The Canucks made this offseason. How do you reset for next year? The trash contracts aren't getting taken away. You got to start somewhere. 
part. I mean, of it. what's the alternative? What's the alternative? You'd keep doubling and tripling down on the current roster. Yeah, which I don't think is uh, again. I don't think it's the right move. Mm-hmm. I can't put myself in the mind of management constantly because they have made some moves in the past that have befuddled me to a certain degree. I wouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't have done that, but they went ahead and did it. I just think that if, if we're able to parse the, the very minimal information that's been given to us and we look back historically and say maybe those are markers of what's to happen in the future, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like Horvat's back. Unless, here's the caveat, Jason, unless they change their minds. And changing the mind of this organization doesn't seem all that difficult to do (laughs) because at times it feels like certain decision makers over the last decade have gotten caught up in a little glimmer of hope or Mm -hmm. a little bit of something. And that is a dangerous thing. It's like when you spend months mapping out a plan and then you put it in the case and you you, glass case and that's our plan. Don't don't mess with that. But then something and not even like fundamentally huge, something like something happens that alters the course a little bit. And you don't stick to the plan. You mm-hmm. go in a different direction. And I, I, that's where I kind of get worried about, well, what happens? What happens if there's a scenario where Bo Horvat, by the trade deadline, is either flirting with or has scored 40 goals, <laughs> which is in the realm of possibility right now. Is it not? Can anyone disagree yeah, with me there? Yeah, of course. And he has almost single-handedly propelled the – because don't forget, he is the captain of the team. Single-handedly propelled this team from the 0-5-2 start. Well, to, that's stupid because Pedersen's still okay, their Pedersen best player. Okay, Pedersen too then, fine. Okay. Just work with me on the narrative. All right, well, just write a better narrative It's then. a good narrative. He scored 40 goals and he's the just captain. Just say he's helped them. He's helped them. He's, helped he's them. the leader of the ship. Why do you have to say single-handedly? I'm the captain now. Or as, they, as many people would put it on Twitter – Single-handedly. <laughs> that is a way to put it. Handedly. Is, is that not the right way? <laughs> is that wrong? Uh, let's, say he, let's say he does this. He's a catalyst and the captain, and they're going into the deadline. I don't know if the, if the organization has, like, the wherewithal or the gumption or, or, the, or the conservativeness. <laughs> gumption again. Yeah, conservativeness to say, you know what? This is great, but we're still going to stick to the plan. And the plan is— Yeah, trading Tyler Mott's a little different, right? Yeah, it is because, yeah. you know, you get a fourth-round pick in return. Everyone's like, ah, well, we wish we got more, but mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. This is a lot more important to fans of the team. It's a lot more important to Horvath. It might be a lot more important to the, the direction of the club, but I, I just don't know— um, like, like, and let's say that happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's somewhat plausible, right? It puts the it puts the club in a predicament, and I just wonder if they have. Uh, we're going to go straight, and we're going to and we're going to stick by our our laurels and our guns. And we're going to stick to the plan, or if they mm-hmm. might deviate a little bit. Time now for a quick soccer report brought to you by Certain Teed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certain Teed, pro all the way. So. The action today is starts with Croatia and Brazil, and that kicks off in about, I don't know, around 40 minutes. Uh, the Dutch and Argentina at, are at 11 a.m. Vancouver time. Tomorrow it's uh, Morocco and Portugal and England and France. Croatia and Brazil. Brazil is a heavy favorite in this one, the heaviest favorite of the four quarterfinal games. What are the chances, in your opinion, forget the odds makers, what are the chances that Croatia is able to pull the upset off against Brazil? Because we've seen Croatia progress through a number of major tournaments. That Mm -hmm. last tournament in 2018, they made it all the way to the finals. And this one, once again, 
They're playing cagey, you know. There like we go. Veteran. They're playing with gumption. Veteran uh, soccer, and they've got Modric and another other a bunch of other guys that have been in this position before. And don't forget that as good as Brazil has looked, when was the last time Brazil made it? To pass the pass the quarters was it was it their famous loss to Germany in their uh, in yeah the World Cup? and then they haven't been to the finals in twenty years so it's been a while right, right. so uh, all the pressure is going to be on Brazil today see Brazil's got the interesting uh, dynamic in all of this and that they're playing the tournament for Pele who of course is hospitalized uh, he had cancer and then he picked up a respiratory virus I believe right. uh, so there's that shadow again the three big narratives right now about winning it for the Gipper, and I'm using a very American term for a very global game, but uh, is Portugal with Ronaldo, although that's kind of taken a turn, that narrative. Argentina for Messi, and then Brazil for Pele. So those are the three big ones. Croatia is a very, very interesting opponent for Brazil because do you know how many wins Croatia has in this tournament in, like, outright victories? One. And it was against Canada. Against Canada. Yeah. Everything else has been, I mean, yes, they beat Japan in penalties. But, I mean, for conventional Mm -hmm. scoring, that's a draw. They played 120 minutes of a draw. They drew Morocco. Uh, They drew Belgium, right? This is a team that can go into matches and not lose, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They know how to not lose. Right. They know how to be very I mean, they'd be thrilled to get to penalties with Brazil. Right. Thrilled. And to be quite honest, I felt at times that in extra time against Japan, they were more than happy to go to penalties against Japan as well, mm-hmm. right? They, you talk about tournament football and surviving, and that's the big difference, is there's going out and having a performance and having a go, and then there's surviving. And surviving mm-hmm. means you stay in this thing for as long as humanly possible, and you scratch and you fight. And well, you how fall. many times have they been down one nothing and they fought back to win the game they eventually? Did, yeah, they did it against the Japanese in the round of 16, and right? They did and it against Canada, they did it against yeah. England in the, in four years ago. So that's why it's really intriguing for me, because I think that they have... Uh, the footballing brains collectively and the resolve as a group, knowing that this is probably going to be like Modric's last kick at the can and everything to make their goal today is going to be make life really difficult on Brazil. So I'm going to be very fascinated to see if they can do that. This soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. James Sharman is going to join us next to continue the soccer talk. We'll talk about England, France on Saturday. Uh, what way will England get eliminated from the tournament <laughs> this year? Will it just be a much better side and France beats them? Will it be something very painful? Or does England actually have a chance to win this thing? I can't allow my, myself to think like that. You're listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are now 27 minutes away from kickoff for the first quarterfinal from the FIFA 2022 World Cup in Qatar. It's going to be Croatia and Brazil. I have not had a chance to check the starting 11s. I did see that Neymar is in. For the Brazilians. And I believe if he scores today, he will draw even with the legendary Pele for most goals 
in uh, Brazil's international history. So we'll be keeping an eye on that and a whole lot more. But it is time now for the soccer report brought to you by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty, pro all the way. For today's soccer report, we are joined now by Sportsnet soccer analyst James Sharman here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, James. How are you? Morning, fellas. I'm doing good. Thanks. How you doing? We are well. We're actually very, very... I'm more excited than I thought I would be to have football back on the screens in studio after two days, two mornings in studio without. And it gets started in a, with a bang. You've got Brazil, the odds-on favorite to win this tournament against Croatia. And we were previewing this match prior to having you on. My takeaway from this was uh, Croatia might be the trickiest opponent for Brazil at this moment because Brazil's coming off this open and free-flowing win over South Korea, and all Croatia does is stay alive and survive and advance in these tournaments. They always find a way. It might not be pretty, but they know how to win. They know how to survive. They know how to advance. Curious to get your thoughts as we preview this one. Brazil, Croatia coming up in about 25 minutes here. Yeah, I agree with you. Croatia are such a wily, seasoned group of veterans, right? And they just to find ways to win. They haven't really impressed so far at this World Cup. They haven't played um, to the top of their standards just yet. In fact, they've looked tired at times. They've looked uh, fatigued. And the questions about the, the aging midfield and the aging defenders, that, that's been you know, raising this ugly head once again. But here we are. And guess what? Croatia's found a way to get to the, set, uh, the quarterfinals. Um, and they might be almost the perfect foil to, to Brazil because they can kill games off. They can sit deep. They're comfortable doing that. That they know how to beat teams with flair, um, and they will do what it takes. You know, not many teams in world football um, have that that real passion to put the show on that the Croatian players do. So it's going to be a really interesting one. Will they finally fatigue? Listen, I remember four years ago, guys, um, at the World Cup, people saying, "Ah, it's an aging team. They're going to tire. They can't keep running this hard all tournament long." and you know, they get to the semifinals, they play England, my England, and uh, and they beat them, you know, and they get to the final. So I never rule out Croatia. Um, but you're right. I mean, listen, Brazil, the favorites, and, and rightly so, they look great so far. But what do we know about Brazil from that Korea match? I mean, they were wonderful. They were great to watch. They lived up to the name of that shirt. But Korea were terrible, right? And they allowed them the time and the ball to do that. There's no way Croatia will allow that. So... I think it's going to be a much low, much more low-scoring affair than we saw. Um, I, I think Brazil will probably find a way in the end. I think they're good enough and they're fresh enough and they're playing with a swagger and a, and a joy right now, which is really scary. Uh, but it's going to be a, a tactical battle, put it that way, and it could get quite nasty. The other game today is the Dutch versus Argentina. And James, are we? is the world or are you just hoping to see Argentina and Brazil in the semis? I mean, with all respect to the Dutch and the Croatians, Argentina versus Brazil in the semifinals of the World Cup would be incredible. Yes, there's your answer. 100%. I want to see that. I mean, listen, I mentioned how good Brazil are. Argentina, again, haven't looked at their best this tournament, but we know what they are. They've won Copa America beating Brazil. That'd be one of those typical, like storied, traditional matches at a World Cup, right? The, the, the yellow and blue of of Brazil and the blue and white of Argentina. Messi against Neymar because teammates at PSG. It'd be absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, don't rule out the Dutch. You know, they, they really um, are, are a team that I think are growing into this tournament. They're managing it. They had a pretty 
easy group. I mean, with respect to Ecuador and Senegal and Qatar, who were terrible, um, you know, they, they, they played that group well. They got through it. They played the States in the next round, and they made the States look really ordinary. So that's a young team that's really kind of growing without superstars, but a real collective. So, you know, I wouldn't rule them out just yet, but let's be honest, um, you know, as, as a soccer fan, the thought of Brazil-Argentina World Cup semi-final next week would be just, I'm, I'm salivating over the potential. Well, I remember four years ago thinking, man, I'd like to see England and France because that would have been the World Cup final, but Croatia got in the way. Do England and France even, I mean, I know they've played each other a lot um, over the years. Uh, they have a bit of a history, those two countries, just overall. I don't know if you guys know this, but yeah, yeah England and France. <laughs> I've been do, told. Do they have much of a... Of a of a football rivalry though, like can you remember big games that the English play the French? Because this is the first mm -hmm. time, in case I'm mistaken, that the two countries have met in a knockout game in the World Cup. Yeah, I think they played maybe two or three times at big tournaments, and, and dating back to the 50s, I believe. So they really haven't got that on the pitch footballing history, but off the pitch, England and France are always rivals. France is the nearest country in Europe bordering over the channel. I used to spend lovely day trips in France as a kid, actually. <laughs> it's about about 45 minutes to an hour on, on a ferry or a hovercraft over the channel to get over there. So they call call English people terrible names. English people call them terrible names, but there's it's a, almost a friendly rivalry in some regards. Mm -hmm. um, but the football itself is interesting because so many of the French players over the years have plied their trade in the Premier League. Um, some of the great managers, Arsene Wenger, of course, first came over to, to England, joined Arsenal, brought over a bunch of French players, won the Premier League, dominated English football for a while. So th there's a real connection there, for sure. Very, a real familiarity with, the, with these sides as well. Um, and you know that could be a World Cup final. It, it really could. I mean, they are two wonderful teams. Um, we know about Kylian Mbappe. We know about Harry Kane. There's Money Dembele, Anton Griezmann, um, Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham. I mean, this is a star-studded. This is a opinion of a star-studded encounter tomorrow afternoon. And uh, I, I don't know how that's going to end up. I'm going to be very nervous. I, I picked France before the World Cup to get to the semifinals and then to get to the final. So I guess if I'm thinking with my brain, I'm still going with France. But man, the heart's really challenging the brain right now because I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, I think the biggest issue right now for England, it almost seems like it's it's dominated the lead-up, is how are they going to deal with Kylian Mbappe? And the answer for most teams thus far is, ah, we can't. He's been unstoppable this tournament. Uh, he's the odds-on favorite to capture the golden boot as leading scorer. I mean, I've seen it to the point where I was reading a Q&A with Alan Shearer on The Athletic, and they were asking one of the most prolific strikers in the history of the Premier League, should we play four or five at the back? Like that, that is the, that's the dynamic right now where everyone's hyper-focused on what England has to do to try and silence Mbappe. Care to take a stab at it? What do you think will play out tomorrow at 11 o'clock when they try and shut down? I know it's France. I know it's the entire attack. But let's be honest, there's going to be a lot of focus on Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to go with what they, they did last time out when England looked so good against Senegal. Go with a 4-3-3. Kyle Walker is, is England's right back who would be facing um, Mbappe. And he's played him before several times for Man City against PSG. Played him pretty well as well. He can, if not match Mbappe with pace, get pretty close. Experienced guy as well. Um, I think Declan Rice in the midfield could be really important there as well. I mean, this whole thing about going to five at the back, 
I don't know. I mean, England's strength is is going forward. We yeah. keep talking about Mbappe and France, and but I think if you look at the French media, they're talking about England and they're pretty scared of the English midfield, who is superior to the France midfield. So I mean, there's so many facets here. But yeah, I mean, he is the one like megastar, probably the best player in world football right now. He's been the best player of this World Cup so far. He's terrifying for sure. And maybe you can't contain him for 90 minutes, but try and limit the damage. Trouble is, you know, like you alluded to, there's a lot of good players in that attack. Olivier Giroud, who's not sexy yeah. at all, but man, he's got 52 goals for his country. He's doing a great job. And on the other side, Dembele, who I think quietly he's had a great World Cup, a young player. Um, Anton Griezmann's re-emerged as a midfielder in, in this tournament as well. So, um, you know, if you put Walker on Mbappe, you know what the danger is. He's going to try and cut inside. That's where, uh, you know, the midfield comes in handy. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see what they do. In the past, you know, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, has been pretty conservative and pragmatic when playing top teams and going to a three slash five at the back. But I really think he's got to keep doing what's worked so far at this World Cup, and that's a four-three-three. The midfield has been dominant, and just you know, fingers crossed, that's enough. What is the future for Southgate? Can we can we can we answer that now, um, or do we need to see how this tournament plays out? Maybe how this this match on Saturday plays out. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's so underrated. I think I mentioned this to you guys before that, you know, he's, he's taken his team to a World Cup semi-final, a Euro final, uh, another quarter-final now of a World Cup, big tournaments. He manages really, really well. Um, but he still isn't given the respect of some of the names in world football. He hasn't got that, that club resume to back him up, right? So um, if they crash out the France, I mean, I, I don't see England getting rid of Gareth Southgate, but I see Gareth Southgate getting rid of England saying, you know, I've done my time. Enough's enough. There is huge pressure you know, on him, let's be honest. But if they lose to France, you know, it's not going to be one of these times in English football where the whole world collapses and, you know, you need like an autopsy of what's gone wrong in the system because mm -hmm. you are playing France. Um, had they lost to Senegal, it would have been a different story. So I, I can really see, you know, him just saying, you know, I've had enough, enough, maybe getting back into, into club management, given that a world where his stock's high. Um, I, so I think if, if I'm a betting man, I'd say this is his last World Cup, but not because the FA is going to fire him or let him go. It's going to be a question of, you know, it's time for him to move on and bring someone else in. And who knows what that is? Because it's a pretty good young team, you know, whoever the yeah. successor is. Uh, but I mean, that job is a thankless job, right? And unless you win the World Cup, <laughs> it's a thankless job because there's always knives out for you. The tabloids are always after you, especially if you're not, you know, one of these suave European type managers and Southgate isn't that. Is the main criticism of him in England that he's too conservative for the squad, considering the talent at the midfield, the young talent that, that he's got to deploy? Exactly, yeah, 100%. Why doesn't he play the attackers all the time? Why doesn't he go for teams? And I think we've seen it this World Cup, with the exception of maybe the U.S. game, they've already done that. You know, they kind of changed it. He's played Phil Foden. There's a clamoring to get Phil Foden in the starting eleven. And, and he's done that now to great effect. He's brought on Marcus Rashford. He's using Harry Kane in a deep role. It seems to be working really, really well. And, and he's really unleashed Jude Bellingham, you know, who's just emerging in this World Cup as one of the top players in world football. And he's still a teenager. So I, I think he is doing that now. But traditionally, yes. I mean, in other tournaments, there's been a lot of criticism. Why don't we go for it? But, you know, it isn't always that simple. You know, I, I love it when, you know, reporters and broadcasters and journalists start criticizing professional managers about tactics when they only have access to you know some of the data right yeah. i'm pretty sure gareth Southgate knows more about tactics than i do so how can i really criticize him 
Um, but yeah, listen, England's strength, we know what it is. It's going forward. And I think so far in this World Cup, we're seeing that. Uh, there's one thing that we haven't discussed yet that we need to, and it's the, the, the possibility of a World Cup final that would probably break the internet, and that would be Argentina against Portugal and Messi against Ronaldo and the battle of the goats and all of the narratives coming together in this one collision course in the final. There's just an asterisk on this now, is that if these two were to advance all the way to the final, would there be any guarantee that Ronaldo would even see the pitch? No, there wouldn't be. I mean, at this point, how can you? I mean, he might come in as a sub. Yeah. And listen, we're, we're basing this really on, on that one great performance by his replacement, Gonzalo Ramos, who scored a hat-trick in the last match as Ronaldo was finally benched. Um, I, I don't know at this point, and we'll see what happens, of course, you know, later on. I don't know how you bring him into that starting 11, no. um, given what we've seen in this tournament. The team's slow when he's on the pitch. Um, they, they, they've got more weight on their shoulders. It seems more of a burden. You saw that last match and how great they were against Switzerland. They were playing with smiles on their faces, they were, you know, unshackled. There was no negative body language. They were just playing free football, finally. And these kids, Shao Felix, was incredible in that yeah. match. You know, I, I don't know how you, you revert back to what's been successful in recent years, but not in, in recent times. So I think if that happens, I mean, obviously the narrative's messy with Ronaldo, but we'll see what happens. There's a lot of football between now and then, right? But to, to put him in the starting 11, to me, would be a big mistake. Portugal could win this thing without him in the starting 11. And it's still, listen, it's still a nice option, isn't it? If you're down a goal sure. late in a match and what you're doing isn't working, it's not a bad option bringing on arguably the best of all time <laughs> up, up top. So if he's happy to do that, and that's the big question, obviously there were reports this week that he wasn't happy and he threatened to leave. I think there's an anti-Ronaldo agenda in the media, so I don't know how true that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's prepared to be that support man, um, they've got a very good chance here. Yeah, I just think the dynamic going into a potential final where it would be Argentina unquestionably led by Messi, unquestionably in the starting 11, and then you have the perfect foil, only the manager doesn't play ball and doesn't put Ronaldo in the start. <laughs> I think incredible. that would be an amazing. That would be incredible. Like that, I mean, I know what the answer would be for any manager worth his salt would be we do what's best for the country and for the, the 11, but the pressure – because the flip side of it would be if you lose that match or if you don't get a goal that you're saying you just left arguably the greatest striker in the history of the game. Do you think Ronaldo would say anything about it, though? I don't know. I, yeah, well, <laughs> James has a point here. There is a, there is a very anti-Ronaldo sentiment among media members who are just looking for any perceived slight or any Instagram post where it might be construed as he's got his nose out of the joint. I mean, he is saying all the right things, again, on Instagram publicly. But there is a dynamic there where he's being portrayed as the villain, not necessarily being the villain. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think it's, it's quite – listen, he brings a lot of it onto himself, doesn't he? Let's be honest. When he does interviews with Piers yep. Morgan, when he storms off the pitch uh, – excuse me, my, my dogs are going nuts. Here. That's okay. Um, I apologize. Um, uh, you know, when he storms off the pitch with him refusing to come off the bench, he brings a lot on himself. But with that comes, like you said, there, there's an agenda in certain parts of the media. Like when he walked off the pitch, the last match, you know, not with his teammates. I mean, that was there was nothing to that in my mind. There really wasn't. Um, did he, you know, argue with the manager? Perhaps we don't know about that. That's behind closed doors. Um, all we can do is just say this guy was one of the best of all time. He scored some of the biggest goals in Portuguese football history. He's been a great servant for that country. It's coming to an end now, and it's not you know that graceful, shall we say? Um, but overall, I, I, I think we just have to kind of bow our heads, celebrate the player that was, and hopefully he at some point realizes at the right time it's time to step aside and, and not fight to the death because he ain't going to win that battle. No one beats age. So 
everyone retires at some point and gets benched. Pele, Maradona, it's going to have the Messi at some point as well. And maybe this is time for, for Ronaldo. It is 10 minutes from now. You got Brazil and Croatia. Then we've got Argentina and the Netherlands. Tomorrow, the early match is Portugal and Morocco. And then, of course, the big one, England and France. Hey, James, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games today and tomorrow. It should be a lot of fun. We'll do this again soon. I sure will. Thanks, Phyllis. Thank you. Thanks, James. That's uh, James Sharman. And that was the Soccer Report, brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Let's do a few Ask Us Anythings. It's Ask Us Anything Friday on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. If you have any Ask Us Anythings, and you can ask us anything. Uh It can be about sports. It can be about entertainment. It can be about life in general. Anything mundane. Legal advice. Well, yeah. Yeah, sure. With, you know, we're not lawyers. You can barely read. Uh, Mike, the urologist from Brockville, ask us anything. Who is the most integral person to success on the soccer pitch? Is it a midfield maestro, a finisher, a brick wall goalkeeper, or a manager? Or is soccer too dependent on all of these things coming together to just pick one. The answer is the brick wall goalie, but the real answer is <laughs> just because uh, you're a goalie. Yeah, the answer is it's too. It's it's all eleven mm-hmm. and the manager. To be fair, that's why the Ronaldo Messi World Cup final will be great. I hate calling them this, but for the casuals, yeah, because it makes it easy. It's the oh, these are the two greatest players of their generation. They've led their teams to the final. The reality is, is that Ronaldo has been a bit player. Yeah. In all the success that Portugal has had in this tournament. He scored once from the penalty spot. He tried to steal a goal from his teammate. He didn't really try and steal it, but he tried to take credit for it. And they had their best performance with him out of the 11. Can you explain to the soccer... Um, Call them casuals. The casuals. Like, this is a crazy question. If, if you're a hardcore soccer fan, you're going to think this is crazy. But what position does Messi play? Messi is an attacking winger. So, okay. Yeah, so, so what does what does that mean? What's the difference? Like he's number ten, right? Does that is that does that no, say? No, he wears number ten. No, he right? wears number yeah. ten, right? That's so what the, I'm saying. But does that matter or anything? Like what, the idea with Messi throughout his career was yeah. is to if you look at a lot of his career highlights, it's get him into wide attacking positions where right. he can go at someone one on one because the foot is almost glued to the ball whilst dribbling. I don't know if you've watched a lot of his mixtape stuff, but a lot of it is he attacks people with ridiculous pace. If you put him on the left, which is his natural foot, he can coast by you in a variety of ways. If you put him on the right, it gives him the ability to cut inside and really cross up a defender mm-hmm. who's used to, I'm going to try and keep him out wide. Right. Um, but his, his, his success over his career has been predicated on being able to take the ball in attacking positions and then go at defenders one-on-one and be creative in those spaces. Okay. Whereas Ronaldo is right. more of an out-and-out up front, I wouldn't say a classic number nine, but if you see a lot of the goals, um, there's two things that he's done in the beginning of his career was he really defined how to hit free kicks and hit the ball, that knuckle type mm-hmm. shot. And that was a lot of his highlights early on was he was a, just an unbelievable shooting threat. Because I, yeah. I was reading that uh, Q&A with Alan Shearer as well, yeah. and they were talking about how the classic number nine, it's not like it doesn't exist anymore because Erling Holland plays it pretty well, but right. it's the it's it's, it's it's like Shearer was just a goal scorer. That's what he did. He he was a finisher. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's it's evolved over time because in Shearer's day, especially in the Premier League, your number nine, your striker was like big, tall lad, yeah. six foot four, could play with his back to goal. You could launch a long ball. You could bring it on his chest to bring it down on his thigh and, and control the ball. And then they Hold took it. it too far with Peter Crouch. And then they were like, he's too tall. <laughs> and he's too weird looking, and I don't like it. But the, the reality is now all the players have to be so much more universal. Right. There's still a handful of guys. Like, if you watch – did you watch Wales at all in this tournament? A uh, little bit. Okay. They have a guy, Kiefer Moore, who mm-hmm. plays for Bournemouth. And um, he is like 6'6". Right. And he's a big, tall lad that you launch balls into the box, and he wins headers and knockdowns. Mm-hmm. And if, on set pieces, he's very dangerous. He's a throwback to an era that is becoming less and less relevant. Like to call Do it, they use uh, defenders now more than they used to on set pieces? Like Harry Maguire goes up there and tries and gets a, like a thumping header on a cross. Yeah, yeah, if you've got the guy. I mean, uh, right. Pepe for... Um, Portugal right now. I mean, he's 39 mm-hmm. years old and he's still going into the box and winning. If you have a guy that can in the air, a lot of it is innate. A lot of it is a, fit, a lot of it is leaping ability, to be honest. Yeah. Not necessarily your size. So if you have the guys to do it, you'll scheme things out, especially on set pieces like free kicks or corners uh, where you utilize them. And yeah, but I mean, it's not like a lot of teams have trended towards using that. It's just more the managers. The game's so much more sophisticated. Now, like it's, I mean, and a lot of it, like any other sport, has to do with this onslaught of analytical information that you just sort of design little moments in matches mm-hmm. where you try and take advantage of what you've got at your disposal. So if it's a guy like old Harry Maguire, um, what is he really adept at and always been adept at? It's winning balls in the air and being a physical presence in the air. Right. Maybe don't use that defensively. Maybe we use it in an attack as well. Uh, Brady Henderson is going to join us next for a little bit of Seahawks talk. And then we've got the rest of the hour to delve into Ask Us Anything. We can uh, talk some Vancouver Canucks. They play the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. Should we do the thing with Chara? Should we talk about Chara? Oh, Talking yeah. Talking about, should we go back to 2011 and and hate ourselves? And, Chara and, would have been a good classic number nine, by the way. Just keep him up front. Right, just, yeah, yeah. just he's got the yeah. size. Probably he's got, got the, the size. Yeah. Well, is he a liar? <laughs> we'll discuss that in the seven o'clock hour. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.